Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, don't forget to check out the food blogging forum style community that we started over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Finally, there's one place that we can all convene and talk and that isn't scattered all over Facebook. Here are the things that I am loving about it. It is free. It also allows for categorized discussions on all food blogging topics And there's a category for sharing successes, aka self-promotion. So no more holding back about discussing your big wins and things that you're promoting. Also, everything is in one single spot. So no hopping around from group to group. And there's an amazing opportunity to network and really get to know your fellow food bloggers in a single place. So come join the discussions that are going on over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Don't forget forum.eatblogtalk.com. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and your lives. Today, I will be having a chat with Priya Lakshmina Ryan from cookalicious.com, and we will talk about creating recipes from foods passed down through generations. Priya is a vegetarian and vegan food blogger based out of Orlando, Florida. Being from India, she loves to try many Asian cuisines besides other international cuisines. Priya enjoys creating recipes from scratch using fresh ingredients. Creating something new using leftovers gives her the thrills. Priya, I am really excited to talk to you today. But first, will you please give us a fun fact about yourself? Uh, First of all, uh, thank you, Megan, for having me on this podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. Uh, But you know, it really feels very surreal because I have always listened to other bloggers here (laughs) and learned so much from them. And today it's me on the other side. So yeah, it it feels... And we get to learn from you now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it truly is overwhelming. Okay, fun fact about me. uh, I have two for you. All right, let's hear them. (laughs) So one is, I am a big horror movie fanatic. (gasps) Yes, me too. (laughs) I love watching horror films. Oh, I love that. Me too. So what's your favorite? Uh, All-time favorite. All-time favorite is The Ring. Oh, that one is like truly, truly scary. And, you know, for me, I, I can watch them alone. I can watch them at night. I don't get scared easily. 
and i think i've exhausted pretty much all the horror movies right now on netflix amazon <laughs> and on youtube Same. given the current scenario we are in so Yes, yeah. yes, I am with you on that. Okay, let's hear your second fun fact. Uh, the second fun fact is I'm a huge adventure sport uh, enthusiast. I have uh, done adventure sports in different parts of the world, actually. I've done bungee jumping in Bali. I've done sky jump in Vegas, underwater walk in Australia, snorkeling in Maldives. <laughs> so these are just, oh my gosh. Yeah, these are just a few of the things I've done. And the next on my list is uh, skydiving in New Zealand. Oh, we are kindred spirits. I am a skydiver and I am such an adrenaline junkie. So that's incredible. I think that you and I should probably hang out and watch scary movies and go skydiving. (laughs) Wow. That's like the perfect day. I would love to hear some records from you on what to watch next. Oh, me too. Because I really can't find many people who are on the same wavelength with the horror flicks. My husband is not on that wavelength. Same here. So yeah. <laughs> I'm always trying to find new things. So, okay, we'll have a discussion outside of this about horror flicks. Perfect. Oh, I love that. Okay, so after these amazing fun facts, we should dive into our chat, Priya. I love this idea of creating recipes based on food from our past or our ancestors because the food was good then, right? So it's still going to be good now. Plus, it just makes food taste extra delicious, I think, knowing that previous generations have enjoyed it. So this is something that you have tapped into, and I'd love to hear more about that. So how did you get inspired to start recreating recipes passed down through generations? So I... As you said, I love the idea of recreating and sharing long-forgotten recipes or everyday recipes from our homes that are uh, still relevant and worth sharing and documenting today. So it actually uh, started, Kukilishil actually started with that idea. Having lost my mom very early in my life, I realized how much I missed her food among the various other things of hers. And there were so many, uh, you know, family recipes which she made and I was lucky to have watched her cook it. So I did know the recipe myself to recreate it later. But there were many, many recipes which were her own creations. And obviously, I never took a note of how she made it. And today, there is no way of getting those recipes ever because nobody else knows how she made it. So I just I can just assume that, okay, she would have put these ingredients or she would have added this. She would have done this. But it's not the same because I don't have her actual recipe. So that was one of the reasons why I created a a space for myself online where I thought I will document especially family recipes so that I have something for everybody to preserve onto later down the line. So that was a initial idea, roughly the idea behind uh, creating Coquilicious. So that's so amazing. Okay, I have to say, first of all, I'm so sorry about your mom and losing her early on. That is just really tough. And I love, though, that you've taken that really hard time and used food to kind of bring her memory back to life. And I mean, a lot of us still have our mothers and I do the same thing. I mean, my mom is still alive, but I take foods that she created as a kid. And thankfully, I have her here to still kind of guide me through that. But I just think that's so inspiring that you took her food and she never wrote anything down. She just was creating it, you know, from memory or by taste or whatever. That's what most of our moms do, right? I mean, they don't document the recipes. They just make. And they're so great in creating recipes out of leftovers or creating something with a new ingredient. So I have learned all these things from her. I have luckily I've observed her enough. 
to invite those uh, traits in me. Yeah. And even like my mom, when I ask her, hey, how did you make that pork chop recipe? She'll be like, um, I, I think I did. You know, it's more like when they're in the kitchen, it's just like by feel and taste. And they can't actually sit down and write it down. It's so funny. And we're the opposite. We're like, okay, we want one teaspoon and a half a teaspoon. And we get really specific because we're bloggers and we have to do that. Otherwise, people can't follow along. But, you know, even I don't follow measurements. It's only when I write on the blog, I give measurements for my readers. But I'm pretty much ad hoc in my cooking. But I give a, a rough idea of how much I've used the quantity. But yeah, I don't go by exact measurements when I'm cooking too. Okay, so you've taken your mom's work and it sounds like it was edible art that you've enjoyed from her and you've taken it and recreated it. So this topic ties really well into food blogging, obviously, because yes, we love to eat, but we also like to talk about and write about food. So being able to tell these stories about our food makes it just extra special, I think. So how closely do you follow like any old recipes that you have? And then do you ever follow them to a T or do you recommend others who may have found recipes from their family archives? Do you recommend following them to a T or a string, giving them a twist, giving them a personal touch? What do you recommend? So I do many things, actually. I do a mix of all, if I may say so. So how I go about planning my recipes is I share two recipes a week on my blog. And I have a Word document where I have a list of recipes, which is a mix of some of my old content, which I want to republish. It could be a recipe I have heard from my friend, her mom, or my mother-in-law, or my sister-in-law. So I have a list of these recipes. And so previously, I used to pretty much just share a recipe. I used to just make it and share it. There was no plan behind it. But now I do have a set plan. I go through Key Search. I go through Google Search Console to see what people are searching for, what's more popular right now. And then I try to fit in the recipe I already have with that analysis. So when I get a perfect match, I know that that recipe is what will make it to the blog that week. So that is my approach behind it. And I keep in mind seasonal produce, uh, holidays, times like these when people are looking for easy, quick to make comfort food. So I keep in mind these things when I'm planning my recipe for the week. So normally I like to add my own twist to a recipe to make it more relevant to my readers today. This could be something like converting a regular recipe to an instant pot one or uh, converting a non-vegetarian recipe to a meatless one or making it vegan or, um, you know, or, or tweaking the ingredients to make it more healthy or change the method of cooking. So I do try to give my own twist to the recipe. But for certain recipes which are traditional and authentic, I like to keep them as is. I don't play around much with it. But I do like to offer suggestion in the post itself for people who are willing to try a variation. So I leave it mm, up. That's a good I, idea too. Yeah, I leave it at the discretion of the reader. If they are willing to try something different, then they are free to do so. I like that. So for the authentic dishes, just kind of relaying it how it is, and then offering up possibilities for people who maybe don't want to be quite as authentic and want to add variations. I like what you said, because you do really have to keep blogging in mind. If 
obviously we are doing this partially for traffic and for money. So you've kind of got to keep an eye on the trends and what people are wanting and kind of modernizing things with like you mentioned adding the Instant Pot or adding an appliance that would make it a little bit more relevant now because some of those older recipes are really ancient. Yeah. So how do you recommend going about that? I wish I would have thought to bring down my cookbook. I have this cookbook that was passed down to me from my family because everybody knows that I like to bake and cook. And it's, I think it was my great grandmother put this hand, like hand pieced this cookbook together. And it's like a piece of art. It's archaic and all the pages are yellow and like everything is handwritten, you know, in that like old, really scripty <laughs> handwriting penmanship. But it's beautiful and I love looking through it, but everything is so outdated that I just don't feel like I can recreate anything and actually put it on my blog. So how do you recommend sorting through that really archaic stuff? So like I said, first we need to prioritize what can go on the blog. We cannot put every recipe out there. So for that, you need to do your research. And then once you finalize a recipe that, okay, this is what matches the current trend and, uh, you know, it'll work for your SEO, then look at what are the various options available to you that you can tweak to make this recipe relevant today. So if it is a fried dish, if it's, a, it's something which is supposed to be fried in oil, look if you can do different recipe testing basically and see if you can bake it, if you can steam it or um, if you can just shallow fry it and just try various options to see what works the best. And if you feel that the fried version is still the best, you can just keep it as is. You can just say that you may fry it, you may bake it, I mean, you may uh, bake it or uh, steam it. But that's pretty much how I do it, actually. So really, it's kind of a formula. So what is trending? And then also what kind of sings to you? So what you're passionate about? And then what stands out from there and has those two qualities. And then just it's a matter of testing, really. I mean, this probably does require more testing than your average recipe. And then just maybe offering up different ways to cook it, like you said, Priya. And so it's really more of a process than what we would normally go through. But like we mentioned earlier, there's more, I don't know, I think older recipes just add that element of magic because they're older and they're coming from this like string of love and family and ties. So it's worthwhile. And they're already tried and tested yeah. because it's been made so many times in the past. So it's pretty much a perfect recipe. Right. That's a good point. It's already tried and tested, but you're just making it better. We were kind of speaking about childhood dishes and then we were talking about just like generational dishes. So dishes that weren't necessarily from our childhood, but that were passed down over and over from generation to generation. But going back to childhood dishes, so recipes that aren't that far removed, but that could, you know, still use a little tweaking. I think a lot of us can conjure up fond memories of being a child through certain foods. And there's a lot of opportunity with this for food bloggers because our words and our photos can create magic. Like I said before, when strong emotion is tied to whatever we're creating. So three of the five most popular recipes on my blog have been in the top five for six years. And the reason for that is because they are recipes that my mom made for me when I was a kid and that I've just recreated and I put my own spin on. And there's nothing that can trump that. And I've tried. I've 
tested it. I'm like, okay, this recipe is amazing. It did not come from my mom, but it's way better than her meatloaf. But oh my gosh, her meatloaf will not fall out of my top three. It's crazy. So talk to us about that magic that just comes from that emotion that is tied to our food. See, that's what I enjoy more, you know. It's like a recipe has a story, a backstory to it. And I love sharing those stories. So even if it is even if it is something I have taken from a friend's mom or somebody like that, I try to go beyond just the recipe. I try to ask them that, okay, is there a story behind this recipe? And most of the times there is a story. And I love sharing those little stories with my readers as well. Because I feel that's what makes our food blogging more personal because it's all virtual. You don't get to see the person who's reading your blog face to face. But, you know, when you share such stories, there are people who are able to relate to that story. I have readers coming back and writing to me that, oh, yes, that happened with me, too. And that feels so good that, you know, that's some way to connect with your readers. So I like sharing a little bit of story. I know it's not very good for SEO to write too much, but still, I try to at least include two to three sentences on the emotion behind the recipe that I'm creating today, because I feel that connects with my readers more. I agree. I think you got to break the rules sometimes. And I know that there are such stringent (laughs) rules right now with SEO and what you are and are not supposed to do. And I get it. I totally do. And I try to follow those rules too. But I'm with you. I always add at least a couple sentences, if not just a few short paragraphs about the food or like why I'm writing this post to begin with. Because then it's just like so flat. And I feel like there's no tie. And I don't write that much. So people don't have to invest that much time into figuring out why I'm writing about shrimp scampi or whatever it is. And I also like that you pointed out that it it doesn't have to necessarily come from a direct family member. Even if we're writing about something that's just coming from a family friend of a friend's cousin, you can still share a story about it. And there's always a story with food if you dig into it enough. And that's that's a really cool thought. There's always a story with food. So tell the story, even if it's short. And I say break the rules a little bit and just do that because you will find that you tap into this just crazy magic when you do that. And my mom's meatloaf. I mean, it's a great recipe, but it's not like the world's best recipe. I mean, I can think of 20 to 30 dishes that I would rather have than her meatloaf. I mean, meatloaf, really? How good can it get? But oh my gosh, top three for six years. You just can't argue with that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. I know. (laughs) I try. I'm like, okay, I'm going to knock it out this year. It's going (laughs) to leave the top five. And it never does. Um, And yeah, like mac and cheese. My mom's mac and cheese recipe I've tweaked too. And that one will not leave my top five. Chili. Like, it's just crazy. They're untouchable. They never leave. Even now during this pandemic thing that's going around and I keep thinking like, okay, my no yeast breads and all of those things that people are really needing right now. They've got to go into the top three, right? But no, (laughs) my mom's recipes are still there. (laughs) That's really good. That's really good. Yeah. So go mom. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So what have you found, Priya, are the easiest types of recipes to make from the past? So like baking or main dishes, dishes focusing around a certain type of protein. What is the easiest one to recreate? Uh, One is comfort food. So anything which has been a staple in your home, that's comfort food. So like the dal, the Indian dal, it's comfort food for us. 
So there are many, many variations to the Indian dal. And uh, now you can even make it in the instant pot and all of that. So recipes like this, which are comfort food, that's very, very uh, popular. And the other recipes I feel are more, uh, you know, recipes which you can convert to make it vegan and make it more relevant for my audience today. I go for those recipes. So really like comfort food encompasses a lot too, because I think even, or I should say, especially from the past, I think comfort was really important. And then just like taking that and putting a spin on it. And there are so many ways that we can do that right now with all of the new appliances we have access to and the different methods of cooking we're using. So there are a zillion different combinations that you could do. You mentioned this earlier, you could do fried, you could do baked. I mean, there's like so many different things you can do and especially with comfort food. And you just can't go wrong with comfort food, right? I mean, everyone needs comfort through food. So I think that's a safe way to go. What are the hardest types of recipes to recreate, do you think? For me personally, I don't like recipes that are very uh, that are very time consuming. I prefer easy and quick recipes. So I normally get attracted to recipes which are easy to make and simple and not very elaborate. So if you see on my blog, most of the recipes are easy to make. There's nothing complex about those recipes because it's like we all live a very busy life. So everybody is on the search for quick recipe, instant recipes and you know those kind of stuff. And I too am one of those who prefer that kind of recipe. So my recipes, they may look very exotic and all, but they're very easy to make. So yeah, easy is good. Everyone loves easy. Exactly. I just, I see complicated recipes and I'm like, I'm not even going to invest time into reading the recipe because I just don't have, I don't have time for that. And you know, and one more thing, uh, one more thing is if I get a, if I get a very uh, specific ingredient, I try to at least make three to four recipes using that container because I feel that, you know, Mm, as home chefs, yeah, because it's like one recipe calls for Thai sauce and okay, you get the Thai sauce and then it's just lying there because there's no other use for it. But I try to give them options that, okay, you have this one jar of Thai sauce and you can make these three recipes with it. Or if you have got uh, paneer, then you can make these couple of recipes with with that block of paneer. So I like to give my readers options so that they're not uh, like, you know, left with ingredients just lying in the pantry after that one recipe. That's really smart. I love that. Yeah, I don't like wasting food myself. So I'm always looking for ways to use uh, certain ingredients in multiple recipes. So that's just a quirk I have. (laughs) But yeah. No, I don't think that's a quirk. I think that's really smart because I do that all the time. I just, I don't know, it was last summer, I think I made a hoisin rice bowl and it was really delicious, but I never cook with hoisin sauce. And I bought this giant bottle of it and now it's just sitting in my fridge and I and I see it and I'm like, oh, dang it. But how smart to think like, okay, other people are going to be doing this too if they really want to make this recipe and they don't cook with hoisin either. So provide them with options to make the most of it and get the most mileage out of random ingredients that they can. That's great. And I also wanted to touch on something really quick that you said earlier before we move on. Putting a spin on older dishes, I think, is an opportunity to be creative. And now is a time more than ever when we, I think, need to be tapping into that creativity in order to restore sanity and just to be healthy right now. Self-care right now is super important and creativity as well. So, you can use that in your job. You can do that by putting new spins on things. So whether it's taking a dish that you've done and 
making it vegan or like we've mentioned a couple of times, cooking it a different way, using a different method of cooking, it's good for me. I get into this creative flow with it and I think that's really healthy. So I just wanted to point that out that you can see this as an opportunity to further your creativity right now and be a healthier person. Right. You know, it's like there are times what I do is I just open the fridge and see what I have and I have no recipe in mind and I just look at the ingredients I have at hand and then that's one of the key, uh, you know, I, I enjoy this aspect of recipe or creation, which is creating a new original recipe from scratch with whatever things you have at hand. So be your pantry, be it your refrigerator. Just I like going through it and seeing that, okay, I can use this, I can use this and maybe create something new out of it. So that gives me utmost joy more than anything else because it's something you have created by yourself. If this recipe doesn't exist otherwise, you just feel good about it. That's something which you have done. And as food bloggers, we spend a lot of money on groceries, a lot. So this is a really great way to cut back on that, especially now during times when we're trying to be more careful about that. And I just, I had this vision, I love this, of just instead of going to your computer and searching trends right away and Pinterest, go to your fridge and go to your pantry. What is there? What is there right now? And then also to kind of extend this to your readers and your audience, it's a cool idea to ask them, open up your fridge and what do you see? So then you can help them create what's in their fridge and and their pantry. So that's really cool because I think a lot of us do the opposite. We go immediately to Pinterest for ideas and magazines. What are people doing? Like, what are the magazines doing instead of what does my audience need? What do they need to get rid of in their fridge right now? That just puts a whole new spin on it. I love that. So talk to us about how you go about creating more seasonal things. So recipes with like fresh fruits and vegetables. How do you create around seasonal? So again, I I look at, you know, various data on what are the seasonal produce right now for every season. What's what's in season for spring? What's for summer? And then I uh, using those fruits and vegetables I then go back to my Word document and see if I have any recipe which has this ingredient as the hero ingredient. And then I see if I can play around with it or create something new if there's nothing in my Word document. So then I end up creating something, uh, some new recipe out of it. But yeah, that's pretty much how I go about it. So you mentioned your Word document. What do you have inside of there and how much content do you have? Oh, it's a very you know, exhaustive any given week. document. It's exhaustive. <laughs> <laughs> do you have it organized or uh it is kind of organized but it's like only i can go through it <laughs> because if my husband goes through it he's not going to understand a thing about it but <laughs> so it's something which only i will get it it's a secret language that only <laughs> yeah. you un- you can understand yeah it's a mix of everything but i exactly know what is where because i've created it so it helps yeah i think we've all got some list like that i have a list like that too that I think other people would look at and be like, what is going on? This is crazy. But yeah, I mean, we have to have some way to just store ideas that we can fall back on. Yes. So it could be like I've been to a restaurant and I've liked this dish on their menu. Yeah. And I quickly make a note of it on my WhatsApp and then I come home and I add it to the Word document because it's there in my file somewhere then. So then when I want to search through my list of ideas, I know that that's there and I can fall back upon it anytime I want. So it could be that it could be I'm, I'm at a friend's house. I've eaten something which I've liked and I tell them that, okay, can you please share the recipe with me? 
or just what is it and how did you make it and i make a note of it and i come back and i add it to my word document so it's it's pretty much updated so yeah do you organize it or do you just have like a huge compilation of everything because i have just one big list but now that we're talking i think it would be helpful to do something a little bit more organized so like seasonal recipes recipes with fruit recipes from grandma you know like kind of having different categories yeah so i do have notes in each uh, for each recipe which i refer to but yes it doesn't it it will definitely make it more simpler if i make it more you know detailed and yeah it will help more mine is not that detailed <laughs> it's just something for my and it's very rough it's not a very thorough document it's a very rough <laughs> it's very rough place where i just jot down things that i that occurs yeah that's i'm with I'm you doing. mine's rough too <laughs> i don't think i would show anyone mine <laughs> yeah <laughs> or it could be that you know it could be while i'm grocery shopping and i come across a new ingredient so that's another thing i do every week i bring in something new which i have never cooked with before so i bring in a new ingredient every week to my uh, house and um, my i i love grocery shopping it's like disneyland for me i love exploring oh the aisles <laughs> i love exploring the aisles and picking up a new ingredient or a new fruit or a new vegetable that i've never had before and i don't know how to cook it either but i just get it I don't do any research I just get it because it's like it tempted me to just pick it up and I'm like okay let me try that's how I got hooked on to edamame I had never had edamame Oh okay and uh, one it spoke to you Yes one week I just got it in a spur of a moment and then it's been a regular in my grocery cart every week Mm edamame is delicious Yeah so I like I like doing that I like to pick up a new ingredient every time and then I just experiment with it like what all can i do with it so that's how i learn i practice i like that so you allow ingredients from the store to kind of speak to you and use your intuition a little bit with that and then like maybe if you try it one way a certain ingredient one way and don't like it you can try it another way and maybe you'll like it then and then research could probably come into play there too because i don't know how to cook a jackfruit or whatever those giant things are that are like as big as my body. <laughs> so I would have to research that, but I mean if it spoke to me in the store and I grabbed it, I would have to maybe look look up how to cook a jackfruit. Or do you cook a jackfruit? I don't even know. <laughs> uh, yes, you can. Okay. <laughs> so like I got this fruit, the rambutan fruit. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. The rambutan. What's it called? R A M B U T A N, rambutan. Oh, okay. It's got like uh, spikes all over it, but it's really sweet. It's like okay. lychee inside. It's very soft and you know uh, jelly like inside so yeah it just looked very appealing it looks it looked very intriguing actually because this is something i'd never seen in my life and i'm like okay let me get it and i'm like i got it and i tried experimenting and i actually have a recipe on the blog which is rambutan lassi which is a sweet pay, okay. uh, yogurt drink which i made with that fruit and it turned out great so you know that's how you come up with new recipes i don't think this recipe exists anywhere else it's an original recipe so yeah that's how you create new recipes yeah and some creation does have to be like that i mean sometimes you do have to go with the trends a little bit but i like how you're inspired by different things so you're inspired by the past and memories and emotion that's tied into food but also new things that are just needing your attention from at the grocery store and I think we all like the grocery store for that same reason. Instacart is great and I love getting my groceries delivered to my door but there's something to actually going to oh, the I store. Love, I love going to a store. And yeah, and especially the produce aisle I just find fascinating too. If I have time, 
And if there isn't a virus floating around and my children aren't with me, then yes. yes. <laughs> Not now, but yes. Eventually things will be fine. We can go back to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think this is just further proof that when you can tie emotion to something, it becomes a really powerful force and recipe creation is no exception. So whatever that is for you, if it's family history, if it's another person's history with food, or if it's just going to the store and taking your time with you know, the ingredients that are around you, or even just searching online and what's speaking to you there, it's really important to to involve emotion, I think. And that goes for everything in life, I believe. But especially if you are a food blogger, this really applies to food and recipe creation as well. What advice do you have, Priya, for people who are looking to add that spark of emotion and passion into their recipes, but maybe don't have like an arsenal of foods that have been passed down or they really don't know where to start? Do you recommend just strolling through the store or what are your recommendations? I believe each one of us, we've all had our a childhood to begin with. So I would say you would strongly, so everybody would strongly associate with certain recipes because they have grown up eating it or it, it's the way their grandmom made it or their mom made it or their dad made it. So you, you will all have at least few recipes which will resonate with your past. So that's one part of your recipe creation. Use those recipes. So start with childhood. I think that's a really solid place to start because even if you didn't have parents who love to cook, it could be anybody. There's something there. Yeah, there's something there. So dig a little bit. Yeah. It could be a, a favorite snack your friend got for to school. You know, it could be anything. But any such memory which is a very strong food related memory, you can look at recreating that. Yeah, like even friends from childhood, did you enjoy something that their parents created or maybe a sibling made a sandwich. I mean, there's so many things that can stir up memories with food if you just sit and think about it a little bit. I had a friend over when I was in college. She came home with me and my mom made her this <laughs> really simple meal. It was just like mac and cheese and a salad. I'm not kidding. And still to this day, my friend talks about the mac and cheese and salad. And I was like, it's just mac and cheese and a salad. And she's like, I know, but it was so good. So there's always something you can think of where you're like, oh, that one bite of food at the fair, like even fair food or something like that, you know, you, you can find it somewhere. So start with childhood, think about those experiences, think about your dinner table, and then start creating. And then go with what your current, what your family likes to eat now. Yeah, that's so good too. You can tie that up with, with now, with the current scenario. So it could be your children's favorite meal or your husband or your, your spouse's favorite meal or you want to cook something for your friends if they're coming over. So think of those things on what they like to eat. Like uh, being from India, we all love uh, eating chaat. I don't know if you're familiar with the with that kind of food. Yeah, yep. Chaat, yes, yeah. So whenever we friends meet, we try to, you know, create more, uh, create chaat, make chaat rather. So chaat recipes like bhel puri, sev puri, these are all like really fun, very uh, spicy, tangy, and those kind of snacks, crispy, crunchy snacks. So I know that my friends love those kind of foods. So we try to make those when people are over or if my brother is visiting or my husband, he loves anything sweet. So then I, I think of recipes which I can make, which are healthy, but sweet for him. So yeah, so play around with, you know, uh, what people around you like. So you can then create recipes, keeping your loved ones in mind of what they enjoy. So listening to keeping your ears open about what others are enjoying and saying and wanting, 
is really important too, not just your own desires and memories, but what others need too. You can help in creating memories for others. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, that's a good spin. What can you create that's going to create memories for others? That's really good. And words are really powerful. And I think when we hear positive words about food, whether we created it or not, it's really powerful. Even if you're not experiencing the same thing, I remember a cookie that I made a few years ago and it was just like an average chocolate cookie. I didn't think anything special about it, but my son had a friend over and she had a cookie right in front of me and she had a glass of milk and her face was like pure joy. And she stopped chewing and she looked at me and said, this is the best cookie I've ever had in my life. And I just like that just brought so much emotion to me because she felt it. And so that cookie I make all the time and I never would have otherwise, but I'm like, okay, this brought a lot of joy to a little girl. So I keep making it. And so paying attention to what others' words are and what they're saying about your food too. And, you know, listen to kids. If you yes, make something, exactly. look at how the kids are reacting. I love doing that. So when we have friends over and there are, obviously they come with their kids and when they taste a dessert or an appetizer and the first reaction they give, yes. that's really... It is the main thing, you know. It's like a you either hit a six or you're yeah. out. It's, it's like that. <laughs> so it's and like, kids don't lie. The reaction is very important, and they don't lie exactly. So when they come and tell me that Priya Auntie, we really loved it, I'm like, okay, this was really good. That means because that was a real validation because they are very honest. Yeah, exactly. And I think especially for savory dishes, if a kid really likes it, that is a huge endorsement. Because my boys are so ridiculously picky and it drives me crazy. But if there's a savory dish I make that they just dig into and like really love, oh, I will say that in my post for sure. I'll be like, this is endorsed by my children, which is saying a lot. <laughs> right. so I have my friends' kids. They they still remember the popsicles I've made for them. They'll be like, okay, we had that popsicle that day when we visited and we loved it. And they still talk about it. So that really feels good. In fact, I have a small uh, story that, that I got. I mean, I just I just got reminded of it. So when I was in college, I used to love cooking even back then. So it's um, it was a weekend and I was making a bread-based fried snack for my family. And I had a couple of boys playing cricket outside my house. They were playing right outside my kitchen, actually. So they could get the aroma of whatever I was making. And uh, I made, and then they kept asking, okay, what are you, they were all friends. They're like, what are you making? And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, tr I'm making this appetizer and we all want to taste it. And they're like, yes, I gave them a couple to taste. And they loved it so much. And they're like, you make more for us. They were playing, they were hungry. They're like, you can you make more for us? I'm like, I'm out of bread. I don't have any bread left. <laughs> So they actually went to the store. They bought me a packet of oh bread. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is. And they still talk about it. Oh, see. I have that recipe on the blog. Yeah. It's called Moong Dal Snack. But it's like, you know, it was as simple as that. It was just a boring evening and I was cooking something and these people wanted to taste it and they ended up liking it. And they're like, okay, we want more. What do you need? We'll get it for you. Please make more. Wow. They liked it enough to go to the store <laughs> and buy you bread so you can make more. Yes. See, it's those simple things that maybe we might be inclined to overlook. And if we just stop and notice what people are smelling and tasting and just kind of make more of that, feed into that. Oh, this is great. This reminds me of Ratatouille. Have you seen that animated movie? It's oh, really? yes. Yeah, where 
the really harsh critic sits down to eat the ratatouille and he's like skeptical, like, am I really going to like this? And it just like the first bite just whooshes him back to his childhood and being in the kitchen with his mom and how he like drops his fork because he's so emotional. And there's so much emotion that can be tied into food. So I think we are food bloggers. That's what we do. We create food and we eat food. We deliver food to others. So really try to tap into that emotion because you definitely can. This has been a really fun conversation, Priya. Wow. I just really, really enjoyed this. So thank you so much for being here. Is there anything you feel like we've missed discussing that you'd like to mention before we say goodbye? I don't know if that's something that will interest you, but uh, even the way I came up with the name Cookilicious is actually a fun story. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. So uh, when I started blogging initially, it was called Confessions of a Foodie. Okay. And later on, we decided that, okay, we need to do this more as a serious profession. Uh, We were looking for a new domain name because Confessions of a Foodie was no longer available. And we were like racking our brains as to what could be the name and all of that. So what I did is I ran a small contest within my family. And I told all of them that you need to give me five uh, blog names or website names, which you think is suitable for a food blog. And the best one, which we end up picking, will win a prize. (laughs) So I actually ran a contest within my family and everybody was participating and, you know, giving me names, suggestions. And we ended up picking uh, this name, which was actually coined by my brother. He gave me this name, Cookilicious. And he came up with this on his way to work. He was thinking of uh, what names would work best. And he's like, you cook delicious food. So I just merged it and made it Cookilicious. (laughs) That's a great story. A lot of us don't have that really great story to back you know where our websites came from so I love that it was just a way of uh, involving my family as well because clearly family is really important to me it's like I I thrive on them so especially my younger brother oh well I love the name of your site it's always just kind of stood out to me because it's it has a ring to it but how cool to know that there's a backstory with your family too yes so you see everything has a story (laughs) yeah yeah I love it And Priya, I think that outside of our chat, we should definitely start a discussion about horror flicks and skydiving. So we will all be on top of that. But otherwise, just thank you so much for being here today. I think this is going to be a really valuable and inspiring episode for food bloggers. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's been fun. Before you go, do you have an extra bit of wisdom, inspiration, or favorite quote to share? Well, it's my favorite quote is, Every recipe has a story if you're willing to listen. Oh, that sums up our chat so perfectly, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes. I love that. And I strongly believe in it. It's something I totally believe in. Totally. Stop and listen. Thank you for sharing that. Priya has a list of resources relating to things we've talked about today in this episode. And you can find that on her show notes, which is at eatblogtalk.com forward slash cookalicious. Priya, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Uh, one is my blog, of course, cookielicious.com. And the other place uh, is Instagram. I love. I would love to connect with you guys on Instagram. And we could, you know, share our kitchen stories uh, on our Insta stories. So, yeah, Instagram is a great place to connect. And if you've always uh, wanted to try your hand at uh, Indian cooking, then feel free to check out my page or reach out to me. I'll gladly point you to some uh, easy and simple recipes to begin with. So yeah, if you do happen to try a recipe, then please do leave a comment. I love reading them. It's it's all about personal connection. So 
I love reading uh, feedback and comments. So yeah, so that's, that's some way to stay in touch with me. Well, great. Thank you. Thanks again, Priya. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.